podcast, cutting edge conversations with the Quant community. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Quantcast, Risk.net's podcast on quant finance. I'm Mauro Cesar, quant finance editor of Risk, and today I'm speaking with Stefan Zoran, uh, associate professor at Oxford Mann Institute and senior researcher at Mann Group, where he looks after trade execution strategies. Hi, Stefan. Great to have you on our podcast. How are you? Very well. Thank you, Mauro. It's, it's, it's really great to be here and be uh, speaking with you today. Thank you very much. Great. Uh, today's topic is uh, market microstructure. And uh, in the first part of our conversation, we'll be talking about the paper you just published with Risk. Uh, it deals uh, with the subject of um, uh, market microstructure and uh, is titled multi-horizon forecasting for limit order book and uh, you co-authored it with uh, Ziao Zhang who is also uh, with the Oxford Mann Institute. Um, the paper is already online and uh, it's printed in the December issue of Risk. The title is quite self-explanatory really but uh, could you please tell us what the problem uh, the, uh, what problem this paper addresses and uh, uh, why it matters to the industry? Uh, yes, of course. Yeah. So, um, as you rightly said, so this is academic work which we have done here at the Oxford Mann Institute together with our uh, postdoc, Zi Haozhang. And the kind of problem setting uh, we look at is where we have this kind of limit order book data, or to be more, be more precise, we have sequences of limit order book data, and we're trying to make forecasts uh, from this data of where where the mid-price is going, but but obviously there's always a question of how far into the future do you want to uh, forecast, and what we do here is we propose this multi-horizon um, forecasting model where we are not going a single horizon into the future, but one model has the ability to forecast multiple uh, horizons ahead into the future. Now, uh, obviously, this is academic work, but such problem settings are quite important in uh, actual industry applications and predominantly in in settings of market making as well as uh, optimal execution, where we want to kind of uh, plan some execution trajectory. And obviously, ideally, one has those forecasts, not just for the kind of next move, but how the how the price is actually evolving as we go forward. So this is exactly the kind of uh, application domain where uh, such type of algorithms will be uh, useful for. I see. And briefly, what is the approach you propose? What are the basic uh, features of it? Uh, yes, so so here uh, we we focus on deep learning approaches, and what is quite interesting is that kind of deep learning is something we use in our everyday uh, lives. I've 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 gotten out my phone, use Siri to 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 ask for the weather, and and this is just a way of of using natural language processing. We've really seen deep learning kind of exploding in recent years and a lot of successes in in very complex models for image recognition in natural language processing and we really wanted to see how can we use this more modern techniques also in 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 finance settings and there's where we seek the inspiration by from machine translation algorithms so the kind of multi-horizon um 
algorithms we formulate are actually based on some of the very modern techniques coming out of machine translation. And just to make sure there's no misunderstanding, it's not that we deal with language here. We're not processing any text data. It's just the way how the model ingests the limit order books is very similar to the way how a machine translation algorithm will ingest the kind of uh, uh, textual data and the words. I see. So I'm going into uh, a little bit more detail on uh, uh, on the model. So you say in the paper you base your deep uh, uh, neural network here, uh, the architecture, on one that was presented in a previous work. Uh, so what are the features of that and uh, uh, how do you use it here? Uh, right, yes. So this previous work, uh, you mentioned uh, um, just right now, that's also a, a paper written with our postdoc, Zihao uh, Zhang, as well as uh, Professor Steve Roberts, uh, the former director of the Oxford Mann Institute. And the, the model which we proposed there, I think it came out it, as, in 2018 as a preprint and was published in 2019, is called DeepLop. And what we actually do in DeepLop, we use ideas from image recognition, actually, in this case. And, and in image recognition, what many people do is uh, they use to first instance those uh, so-called uh, convolutional filters. And those are also the ones which we use there on this kind of space-time pictures of limit order books, where we have limit order books evolving over time, and we have the kind of structural information inside of the limit order book in the other dimension. So we have a kind of two-dimensional picture here, and we use this image recognition techniques. That's actually quite useful because those techniques have been very successful in image recognition because they are able to learn very kind of representative features by at the same time using very small numbers of parameters. I mean, it's basically the idea, if I think about an image, if I'm able to learn something like edges and shapes in one bit of the image, I ought not to be relearning it for another bit of the image. So I want to be reusing the same parameters. And we use this same idea here for the limit order books. A bit like if I have a history of the limit order book, if I'm able to learn some form of imbalance right now, I used to be able I should be able to use it a little bit in the past as well and not having to to relearn it. And we really see a lot of successes in utilizing this the CNN components, which actually in a kind of time series component are just um, very similar to autoregressive models. And they actually help you to learn things like imbalances very easy and using a small number of parameters. So even though those are techniques from deep learning, we're actually not proposing to use very deep networks, but we just want to use the techniques which are very good at extracting those features. So. Um, in particular, imbalances are the kind of natural features which those models are able to extract. I see. And this is one part of the model. Uh, and then you apply the sequence to sequence uh, part of the model. Uh, could you tell us what it is and uh, uh, how it is combined with the uh, deep network? Exactly. And uh, uh, just to kind of also explain the difference to what we did previously. So previously, we would have these images and we then use this these techniques from kind of image recognition and we will make a a single forecast basically. Now what we do is effectively, so we take this first layer from the previous paper just as the feature extraction, but then those features are then fed into this sequence to sequence architecture, which effectively is, is kind of building up a longer term 
memory of the model. So this this CNN components, because they also span a short moment of time, they can learn imbalances at short trends, but they can't pick up those long-term um, relationships. And the sequence-to-sequence model is exactly able to learn this long-term relationships. And as I mentioned earlier, it comes from the idea of machine translation. So it reads in like like we read in an English sentence in a machine translation, we read in those extracted features of the model and it can build up this really long memory of what has been going on for a longer period of, of time. But then also, uh, this is in the kind of encoder bit, but then also when it does make the prediction, it is then able to roll forward those predictions exactly as in the translation algorithm, I first kind of predicts the first sentence of the translated words and then kind of the second given the first and so on. Exactly in the same way, our model also rolls forward its prediction. And this is really where this multi-horizon nature of the model comes in, where once it has made a prediction over, say, 10 ticks ahead, it can then extrapolate to 20 ticks, 30 ticks, and so on, exactly as the translation algorithm works. So that that is really where the sequence to sequence comes in. And, and just to say, in the paper, besides sequence to sequence, we also use another mechanism which is called uh, tension. And uh, this is maybe more for the kind of uh, more technically uh, inclined listeners. Uh, one of the issues we have with sequence to sequence because it kind of passes on information to each other and, and, and so on, it, it, it has some issues with kind of forgetting things which were very much in the past. If you have any form of more periodic structure where something very recent is irrelevant, but something just before that was more relevant, that's very hard for the sequence to sequence model. So the attention model effectively is able to look further back to the past and pay different attention to different bits of the past. That's exactly where the name attention comes from. And and that helps this attention model to be a tiny bit better in learning those long-term dependencies uh, than the sequence-to-sequence model is. And uh, uh, maybe for the uh, less uh, technically inclined, uh, including myself, uh, could you give me an intuition of what features uh, the encoder captures of the raw data you you fitted with? Yes, so uh, kind of, as I mentioned a little bit, so the kind of the first bit of the encoder is obviously the CNN, and that captures imbalances, and it can also capture short trends because it has a history. If something moves in the history, it can see this trend or changes it in balances, but only over a very short history because each filter only has a very short history. Now those those uh, recurrent structures, the sequence to sequence and the attention, they are able to then uh, kind of find this longer term dependencies, which can be longer term trends or longer term trends also in the flow of imbalances really. And and that's the kind of intuition of what those models can actually uh, pick up in terms of features. And how did you test the model and what type of results and performance did you observe? Um, Yes, so in the paper, we look at a number of uh, kind of different um, metrics to evaluate the model on. And we also look at a number of different 
uh, data sets. For once, we, we tested on what is known as the FI2000 data set, which is the data set. I'm, I'm personally not a great fan of this data set. It's a very small uh, benchmark data set, but it's one which is kind of commonly used in academia. So just to be able to compare to other models, uh, it is good to use this open source data set. But then if you're interested in how those models actually perform in a real life setting, in, in a kind of big data set with, with more noisy data and a more competitive market, you really have to look elsewhere. And that's where we look at the kind of at the LSE data set where we have data from uh, 25 um, FTSE 100 instruments. So that's that's nearly a, a billion data points over, over the course of a year, basically. And then we train the model on, on half a year of data, test it on uh, cross-validated on another three months, and then we test it on uh, another three months. And in terms of results, so you can formulate those problems in terms of uh, regression settings. But what we did, and again, that is more to link up with existing literature, is we rephrase it as a form of classification problems. Is the market going uh, up or down or neutral above a certain threshold, which is adjusted using a, a, a running um, window? And our expectation was that if you go further ahead into the future, it, it gets harder for the model to make predictions. So of accuracy should go down there. But what we expected and what we was hoping to, to see is that actually these multi-horizon models, they start to see benefits at larger horizons because effectively, rather than having one model for each horizon, which I would have to do for a standard supervised learning setting like in, in the previous work, DeepLob, where the, say, the 100 tick forecast knows nothing about the 10 tick forecast, in this situation, where I have multi-horizon forecast, really the short horizon should inform the longer horizon. And at short horizons, I have more structure. So the, it helps me to learn a bit better at short horizons. And that really ought to inform the prediction at larger horizons. And that's exactly what we see. So the multi-horizon models perform competitively, but a little bit worse at short horizons than the kind of state-of-the-art single horizon models such as our deep plop. But once you go further into the future, they really start to kind of outperform the the single horizon models. And that's really quite interesting. Now we're speaking about 100 ticks into the future, that's, that's maybe like 30 seconds in more time for those those type of instruments we are looking here. So that's that's short, 30 seconds. But in terms of like high frequency tick data, 100 ticks into the future, it's it's, it's very long if you think some of the of the kind of very fast players maybe just want to predict what's happening over the next tick. And that's exactly where we see this this sweet spot, actually. We have models where, you know, it's not really a game of predicting the next tick and it's really a very simple model. It's just about being fast. Uh, uh, so it's it's really a, a little bit more into the future. So, uh, but so um, it's, it gets more challenging. We, we have to apply more uh, kind of smarter models, but at the same time, it's still fast enough that we have enough data and structure there. So it's, it, it's really a nice uh, uh, sweet spot uh, to be in and, and to apply those models. You said at the beginning that this is an academic work, but obviously what you just said uh, highlights its uh, practical implication and in its applicability. So the natural question here is, uh, is this model or version of this model uh, used anywhere in financial institutions already? Uh, Man Group here, uh, I think is an obvious uh, one. Um, is that the case? 
Uh, yes, indeed. So obviously, in terms of the paper itself, our focus was on 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 the academic side. But as I mentioned, this type of forecast, they're useful in market making and in execution. And, and just to give you very quickly the kind of intuition of, 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 of how it is useful, um, they are so obviously because it's fast, like 30 seconds, it's very difficult to, to build a standalone strategy which trades such a signal going in and out of positions crossing the spread, for example. But if you think about execution uh, as an example, you know that most of the execution algorithms, they try to trade as passively as they can just to save the spread really uh, along the execution trajectory. But then you might see situations where effectively the price is moving away and the algorithm seems to be chasing and replacing and replacing and chasing the the uh, the, the price indefinitely. And if if the algorithm had a good forecast early on that the price is moving away, it could just anticipate it and cross the spread. And there's where the savings come about. It's just a, a basis point here and there, but obviously if you apply this type of uh, savings across the board and across time, it adds up to a lot of uh, money. Now, execution, that's obviously important for um, banks who offer execution algorithms to clients as well as for some of the players such as mangroups who are building their own uh, in-house algorithms now the specific work the multi-horizon works that's obviously quite hot of the press and uh, it's just so new so we haven't had a chance to implement this specific one but obviously as you mentioned earlier it's it's kind of based on, on earlier work from 2018 and, 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 and we are quite excited that this earlier work, DeepLop, has actually found quite some adoption in industry. I, I know about uh, at least two investment banks who have incorporated it in their uh, uh, execution uh, algorithms, their prime algorithms and also at, at Mangrove we have been working to incorporate it in our in-house uh, algorithms there. So it, it is definitely something which is of practical applicability. And we hope that this new model, the multi-horizon model, will even be more advanced because it's not just making a prediction at a single horizon, but it can help to give you this whole trajectory, really. Very interesting. Um, now, uh, switching topic a little bit, but, uh, how do you, uh, how would you say this potentially combines with the reinforcement learning techniques? Yes, so as I just mentioned, so obviously um, this type of signals, they can be used in in execution. And the example just gave us like, if you, for example, have an algorithm and we, 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 have, we can anticipate a price move, we can kind of cross the spread before it moves away. But that's a more handcrafted way of doing it. So we have a kind of handcrafted algorithm and we just add it as a signal to it. That's kind of more the traditional way of doing things. But ideally in kind of, doing this trajectory planning, finding the optimal execution uh, pass, we could employ reinforcement learning algorithms. I think that's one of the most exciting applications of RL in finance is exactly in this optimal execution. That's where you have enough data, uh, that's where you have enough structure. So uh, just to kind of cast it in the usual language and reinforcement learning, usually there's a form of reward, there's a state and, and there's some action to take and here you could think of the reward is obviously the the, the slippage we have or the, the the savings in execution cost that's the reward here and then the actions we can do is for example do we want to cross now or do we want to keep the passive order and then state of the market there's really where those signals come in so the the, the signals really 
help you to synthesize the state of the market. You kind of have some idea of where the market is going. This informs you about the state of the market and that can help you to actually then uh, build better reinforcement learning algorithms. And we know that those reinforcement learning algorithms are very difficult to trade, uh, to, to train uh, in, in practice. And, and the data is very noisy. So trying to train them on the raw data is very hard. So if you have this model and can make good forecasts, that brings down the signal to noise um, uh, or uh, that helps to kind of um, uh, tackle the issue of signal to noise and helps to kind of makes this reinforcement learning algorithm actually train much better and work in practice. The uh, computational challenge is a classic question when we speak about these things and uh, the input of this model is a very large data set. I know you've been using a uh, particular processor to execute the model. Uh, how reliant is this model uh, on a processor being very powerful? Yes, so um, so as you said, in this case, so w one of the uh, kind of uh, orthogonal aspects of this work that, that we utilized uh, so-called intelligent processing units uh, for this work. And I think we were quite excited because it's actually the first application of this um, type of hardware in a finance context. And I think that's quite interesting also to see how this hardware works. It's not to say that you cannot do it without, you can easily do this also with uh, GPUs. But uh, what is generally true is that a lot of those recurrent networks um, like um, LSTMs or sequence to sequence uh, models, uh, or also attention models, in particular attention models, they are very slow to train on um, architectures such as uh, GPUs because of the sequential nature, it is harder to parallelize them. And some people look uh, at ways around it. You could, for example, look at transformers. Transformers is really a way of kind of getting around the recurrent structure of the model. But so what we here decided is to kind of just uh, face it outright, but see how this additional hardware can actually help us to, to kind of tackle this computational uh, bottleneck. And we've seen quite some interesting speed ups of five to 10 times uh, with, uh, with regard to this uh, kind of traditional usages of, of, of GPUs. And, and that's, that's quite uh, interesting. It's quite exciting. A lot of the buy-side firms um, um, are always exploring different ways of um, of, of, of new hardware. And I mean, I've now also in risk.net kind of quantum computing comes up quite frequently. People want to see what's next on the agenda. And, and you see uh, a lot of HFTs have been keen employers of, of, of fancy hardware such as FPGAs already for a long time. So question would be like, how useful could, could this hardware potentially be? So we were quite excited to at least uh, have some form of applications be able to measure that to some extent in this context. I see, I see. Now let's uh, let's change the topic and uh, speak about your previous um, uh, contribution, uh, something you published in Risk uh, last year. Uh, so you published this paper uh, with us on the codependence of asset returns and introduced an indicator that you called autoencoder reconstruction ratio uh, that captures the changes in that codependence. Um, have you continued that stream of research, and um, uh, what is the latest in in that area? Um, yes, so so this this uh, ARR, the previous uh, paper we wrote, this is kind of 
one work of, or the virus stream of works, which I would call the kind of machine learning enhanced quant strategy. So here we have some some form of risk measures, some form of fragility measures of markets, and we wanted to see how can we use machine learning to kind of build something similar, but uh, better basically. And and we have other lines of research which do that for different uh, uh, parts. For example, uh, one thing we looked at intensively is, for example, momentum strategies. And we looked at time series momentum and we looked at cross-sectional momentum as, as well, uh, where we kind of rank stocks uh, in a cross-section and go kind of uh, uh, long the winners, short the losers. And uh, that's where we employed some very interesting techniques of uh, learning to rank, which are usually used in information retrieval to perform those uh, ranking steps. And exactly in this context is where we also use this ARR as as well. It can be fed in to these cross-sectional algorithms. In a sense, you are thinking if you if you if you build a a, a, a portfolio of of long short names which you obtained using ranking having information on the fragility of the market is very uh, useful in doing so and it actually helps uh, the the uh, construction so this was one of the most recent applications actually still ongoing work where we where we utilize um this type of um of earlier um uh, arr model as an input uh, into um a new model and and we actually even though it's still ongoing we actually presented this very recently at at the uh, gtc conference run by nvidia excellent now last question uh, what other projects are you working on at the oxford man institute what is keeping you busy oh, yes yes a, a lot of things keep us uh, uh, busy here i think the institute has has grown quite a lot and, and managed to build up uh, a kind of reputation over the last years, especially in the kind of ML in in finance space. And there are different areas we work on. So one is related to microstructure. So obviously the, the work we discussed right now, the multi-horizon work falls into this category as does the previous work or deep log as some of the reinforcement learning applications for optimal executions. They all fall into this bucket of microstructure. And that's something we do quite a lot of work on. I think it's quite excited, exciting as well, because obviously there we have a lot of data, there we have a lot of structure, and you can really play with more modern <clears throat> machine learning techniques in this context. Another area of research are this kind of machine learning enhanced quant strategies. And there are also a lot of ideas of <clears throat> general deep learning for time series modeling comes really into the picture. And that is something we have been working on as well a lot in the context of um, ARR, uh, momentum, portfolio construction. <coughs> and that's something um, which has been a, a big focus of our work and something which has been more interesting also uh, more recently uh, have been aspects of interpretability. So we have this very complex mm -hmm deep learning models, for example, for uh, building momentum strategies, time series momentum strategies, and we really want to understand what this model is is doing and how it is leveraging uh, certain features. And, and we have had quite some success, and we have some paper also coming out uh, later this week where we use transformer-based uh, architectures to deal with this uh, um, is building those momentum strategies and, and they can be quite smart 
actually is quite interesting. So some of these models, they they kind of they seem to be switching between momentum and, and, and reversion. And the problem is a kind of more simple model will always do a bit of both and it will create quite a lot of turnover. But actually the smart models, they are able to, to kind of switch around between those two situations. But what we really wanted to understand is how it takes those decisions, how it actually is able to, to switch around between those kind of phases of more trending and more reverting uh, phases of the markets and and it's quite interesting when we use these transformers there's a natural form of interpretability built into them through those attention ways which we discussed earlier we can actually see what type of episodes in the past for example is this model paying attention to when it just sees the COVID-19 crash there so that's uh, that's obviously quite quite interesting to observe and I think there's a lot to be learned by applying those techniques of interpretability to to kind of uh, deep learning techniques and finance and uh, very lastly besides those techniques we have also had some more interest in building up some new areas in the field of of natural language processing and networks, which I know is something uh, which uh, kind of also is pretty much well represented at at Wistos.net, and I've heard it's, it's been covered at some of the podcasts as well. And 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 it's quite interesting to see also how these two techniques combine, like NLP and networks. Typical situations are, for example. Um, news networks where we kind of process news and we look look at co-occurrences of of different company mentionings in the news and we can kind of construct some form of similarity of those companies and we can use that to build networks and see for example how is sentiment of one company propagating over this network and affecting other companies so that's quite interesting and you can also apply similar techniques not just to traditional news but also social media so kind of Wall Street Bat has been a big, big, big thing uh, this year, and 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 we have some ongoing work in this direction as well. And it's quite interesting to see, for example, how can you detect whether certain kind of posts go viral, and and what effects could that have for the market? And what's quite interesting is, and here's where the graph structure comes in, in some of the work on fake news detection, for example, for Twitter, hmm. people have found out that actually what what determines what the fake news is is not the content really of 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 the tweet it's more as how does the tweet propagate through the retweet graph so the shape of the retweet graph is much more informative of whether it's fake or genuine news than the actual content of the message no no we are trying to use similar techniques also in the context of wall street bats so is it somehow how people comment on something is the structure of this graph is that maybe more informative than actually what's being said in the comment and that's something where really this kind of network and LLP uh, techniques combine and that's something which we only started more recently but I think it's a very promising area to be in and you will certainly hear a little bit more about this in the future. Uh, this sounds uh, indeed very interesting and uh, look forward actually to see the results of that um, and the application of the NLP on uh, detecting um, information and uh, uh, fake news and application to markets. Uh, Stefan, thanks very much for uh, being with us today. Um, thanks for explaining all these uh, fairly complex things in, in a very clear manner. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you. Equally, many thanks for having me. It was really great 
opportunity also to kind of share a little bit about the exciting work going on here at the Institute. Thanks, and thanks everybody for listening. Quantcast, cutting edge conversations with the Quant community.